Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. We don't typically do this. Would you just appreciate our worship leaders and what a great job they do over us and lead us every week? So I love to listen to other pastors preach and teach. Uh, worst case scenario, I learned some things not to do, right? Uh, I've often lived with a belief, and I, I've heard a lot of speakers speak over my time. I've learned that most sermons could be twice as good if they were half as long. You better not agree with that right now. Don't you even twitch, right? But I, I've gone, I've heard some pastors teach, and boy, they, you know what makes a good pilot is they know how to take off and they know how to land. And I want to tell some pastors, land the plane, just land it, right? But they keep just buzzing by the tower and they do another circle. And my preaching professor in seminary said this concerning speaking. He said, when the horse is dead, dismount, right? <laughs> the time you just quit. You just stop, right? But the best case scenario, I hear some pastors preach, and I can tell they are passionate about the Lord. They love their people. They want to communicate truth. I love to see that happen because I get to see teaching and preaching from another angle instead of, instead of sending it out to receive it. And there are some fantastic communicators uh, in my life and in our community that I listen to. Whenever I see a pastor do it well and do it right, I always go back to the 1986 All-Star Game, and two pitchers faced off against one another in that All-Star Game way back in the day, okay? One was Roger Clemens, the other was Dwight Gooden. Now, you know that in the American League, they had the designated hitter rule, and so American League pitchers would not bat. So here is Roger Clemens stepping up to bat for the first time since he was in high school, okay? So he's a pitcher, and the person he faces is Dwight Gooden, right? He doesn't have a chance. But Dwight sends a fastball whizzing over home plate, and Roger Clemens turns to Gary Carter, the catcher, and he goes, do my pitches look like that? <laughs> and Gary Carter said, yeah, only faster. And so Roger Clemens went back out to the mound with this sense of empowerment, and, and he said this, it's okay to throw hard. That's what I feel sometimes when I see other pastors who do it well I see him zip a fastball over home plate, and I go, I never want to forget the power of communicating truth and grace. So, that's Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Paul speaks a lot in the book of Acts, okay? He talks to a lot of people. This is the only time, though, and what makes Acts 20 unique, this is the only time he speaks to a group of Christians. All the other times, he's trying to convince or convert, but this time he's talking to people who are already followers of Jesus, and he's going to zing a couple of fastballs right across home plate. So I want you to remember what we're doing. We're starting this year. By the way, I don't have the answers, but I think this is the right question. I believe this is the right question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Would you be listening with me? The Holy Spirit is saying, we are an unapologetically urban church. We are here in the heart of the city. That's where this church providentially was planted 125 years ago. It has its challenges, but this is where God wants us. 
I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us, make disciples instead of making drama. Any church can make drama. Not every church is making disciples, teaching to have people obey everything Jesus commanded. That's what we should be about. Also, to plant our lives. The fruit of the Spirit only grows as we put down deep roots into a community, and we love each other even when we're the most unlovable. What else is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Well, here's where I want to go to Acts chapter 20. Paul spent three years with the church at Ephesus. He knows them well. This is the last time he is going to speak with them. And I believe as Paul talked to the church at Ephesus, so the church at Tulsa may need to hear what Paul has to say, that perhaps the Holy Spirit would say something to these Christians 2,000 years ago and say something to us today. So Paul is actually on his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't go to Ephesus, but he swings by close, the town of uh, where he's going to embark on a ship. So the Ephesian leaders travel about 30 miles to come meet with him. And so this is Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. Pay attention to verse 19 because it's a 95-mile-per-hour fastball that's about to zip right past us. I serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing. If you're a leader, if you're a teacher, if you're a leader in a community group, if you're a deacon, if you're a staff member, if you're a leader in your family, if you lead in any capacity at all, I want you to pay attention to verse 19. There are some leadership principles that Paul reveals about himself right there. He said, I led with humility. Why is it that Christians are sometimes arrogant? And by the way, I talk from personal experience here. I think we're arrogant because we have this thought, I know God, implying I know God and you don't. But can we give just a little bit different inflection to that? to say, I know God. I know who He is, and I see how far I have to go. That's, that's the basis of humility, is understanding who He is and who we are not. Here's my best definition of humility here recently, and I forget the author, I stumbled across this, that humility is having a quiet ego. So imagine a pond that's all stirred up, right? It doesn't reflect anything. You just see the pond. But if that pond becomes still, now it can reflect mountains and sky, and its beauty adds to its surroundings. Well, if our ego is in all kinds of turmoil, and it's about me first, people are just going to see our ego. But with a quiet ego, we may very well reflect the face of God to people. Humility, tears. Paul was a person of deep, authentic emotion. Let me encourage you, and I kind of grew up in a day and time where tears were something to be embarrassed about. You don't cry. And then I became a pastor, and you certainly don't want to cry at a funeral to be a distraction to other people. And after a while, you forget to start showing emotion. In fact, my youngest son, a couple of weeks ago, he called me the brick. <laughs> I don't want to be like that. Let people know. You're a person of genuine emotion. It's okay to show people your emotions, especially if it's affection. And then Paul says, I don't give up. Even in the midst of trial, I keep going. One of my favorite quotes by Winston Churchill, it hangs in my bathroom for a reason. It says, if you're going through hell, keep going. 
and that was Paul. So that's not a throwaway line. That's also not the basis of what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to our church. I just throw that in there because that's good stuff, okay? So verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm going to skip the next paragraph because Paul is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, hardship awaits. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Verse 27 is the 102 mile per hour fastball that zings across home plate. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? I believe what he said through Paul to the Ephesian church is what he is saying to us. Make sure we proclaim the whole will of God. What in the world does that mean? I'm going to be very simple about this. Follow my line. When it comes to understanding God, when it comes to thinking about God, when it comes to believing in God, you can follow two paths. One is speculation. You know, here's what I think about God. And by the way, most people do that at some point in their life and sometimes for all of their lives. Here's what I think about God. Here's what I don't like to think. Here's what I like to believe. We pick and choose. The other is not to follow the path of speculation, but to follow the path of revelation. I don't have to decide what God is like. My job is to discover what God is like through looking at Jesus. So now, who is Jesus? Again, if we want to know the whole will of God, we look at Him. But who is Jesus? Can I give you just one verse here? Thank you. I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. Here is my best understanding of the whole will of God, that if we look at Jesus, here's what we see. Here's what John 1.14 says. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who comes from the Father full of grace and truth. If we want to know what the whole will of God is, we can speculate about it, or we can follow Revelation. Revelation will lead us to Jesus, and who Jesus is in His fullness, He is both grace and truth. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to our church. Be people, be a church of grace and truth. Now, here's the problem, and here's what we're going to explore a little bit today. Sometimes it's easy to get lopsided. Sometimes we tend to, to latch on so much to truth that we forget about grace. Other times we lash on to grace so tightly we forget about truth, and it's not one or the other. It is both and. We are called to be people of truth and people of grace. So I, I want to give you a reference here. If you read one book this year, this is a book by Randy Alcorn. Uh, I haven't read many of his books, so I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't dislike Randy Alcorn. I just don't have book after book. This is a book given to me by Randy Alcorn called The Grace Truth Paradox. Now, just look at this book. Even if you're not a reader, this is a small book. Just look at it. 
okay? I think there's even a picture or two in here for you, okay? So it's not reading volume after volume. But the reason I mention this book is, number one, it's a fantastic book, but also I, I'm drawing heavily on this influence of this book that was actually given to me by a deacon here in this church because I think this is profound. We need to be people of both truth and grace. So let's explore that for just a bit, okay? Let's say we are just people of truth. We want to wrap our minds and hearts around God's truth, and we do that so much that we forget about grace. By the way, the word for that is called legalism. And if we become legalistic people, hear me, and some of you know this by experience, legalism will poison the church, and it will push the world away from God, okay? That's what embracing… And by the way, it's good to embrace truth, but not at the expense of grace, okay? So here's a couple of clues that you maybe are a little lopsided on the side of truth. By the way, I'm going to reference my notes a little bit more today because I want to say a few things with precision, all right? I don't want to miss any words here. You might lean too much to truth if you focus more on revealing the sins of other people rather than remembering that Jesus Christ removes the sins of other people. You might lean too far to the side of truth if your focus is on revealing the sins of others rather than forgetting that Jesus died to remove those sins. You're more focused on scandal than you are salvation. You're more about pointing a finger than you are reaching out a hand. You also may lean too far to the side of truth if it's more important that you be right rather than be loving. This is a big one. You might tip too far to the side of truth. It's more important that you're right rather than loving. Some of you might know the name Warren Wearsby. He was a big Bible commentator back in the day. And he goes to speak at a Bible conference, and somebody comes up to him and says, well, what Bible translation do you use? And he goes, well, I don't use any one specific. I, I choose several different translations in order to best make my point. The person got so irritated. They believed that there was only one right translation. They took their finger, they wagged it in Warren Wearsby's face. They said, I can't believe you're such a heretic, and I'm leaving right now. And he stormed out, violating the very Scripture he was claiming to uphold. Because the Bible says nothing about what translation you use, but it says everything about the kind of temperament that we have. So is it more important that you be right than loving? If so you might have tipped too far to the side of truth. Now, some of you might know the name Eric Little. How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Let me see your hands. Oh, that's a great movie. I watched it first as an 11-year-old kid, and I thought, this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. It came out the same time as a Star Wars movie, and I was like, why did my parents drag me to this? Obi-Wan Kenobi is calling to me. He wants my life. I must give it to him, right? Now that I'm an adult, I appreciate it a bit more. Eric Little is the one, the Flying Scotsman, 1924 Paris Olympics, where he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. So he was the one that in the 100-meter event, he said no because the qualifying heat was on a Sunday, and he would not violate his conscience by running on a Sunday. He held tightly to truth and his conscience. So he was put in the 400-meter race and, and won gold medal. Here's the rest of the story. Eric Little went on to China as a missionary. And when the Japanese invaded China, he got his wife and his child to safety, but he himself was put in an internment camp 
with men, women, children, and he made it a point to take care of the children in this internment camp and would let them play sports, basketball and hockey and rounders. And I don't even know what rounders are, but it sounds really boring. So he would organize all these games. The only time he would not referee is Sunday. But when he didn't, the children would fight and there would be consequences and bad things would happen. So you know what he decided to do? He decided to referee on Sunday. I want to quote this next because the wording here is spectacular. Little would sacrifice a gold medal for himself in the name of truth, but would bend over backwards for others in the name of grace. Let me say that again. Little would sacrifice a gold medal for himself in the name of truth, but he would bend over backwards for others in the name of grace. So, if you tip a little too far to the side of truth, could I just say this one thing? Words are not weapons. Words are meant to be gifts. And let me take it up one other step. The Word is not a weapon. The Word is a gift. Now let's talk about tipping too far to the other side because we see this happen too, that, that people embrace grace at the expense of truth. Here's a couple of clues that maybe you've tipped too far to the other side. One is tolerance has replaced truth as your guiding star. It's, you never want to mention sin, you never want to mention bad things, you never want to make anybody uncomfortable. Well, you know what? Truth is sometimes uncomfortable, and it is. But if tolerance replaces truth, we focus too much on grace with not enough balance. Here's the other clue, and I'm going to read this one just to give you a heads up. I think this is the best thing I'm going to say today. And it's not original, so I don't mind saying that. You tip too much to the side of grace if you try to make Jesus acceptable to people rather than letting Jesus make people acceptable to God. I want to say that again. You might have tipped too far to the side of grace if you try to make Jesus acceptable to people instead of letting Jesus do what He does, save people, transform people, in order to make them acceptable to God. If I were to say any one thing to those who tip too far to the side of grace, hear me on this. And by the way, I think this is the second best thing I'm going to say today. Grace never calls wrong right. Grace, it's not grace. Grace never calls wrong right. So here's where I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to explore your heart, okay? Which way do you tip? I, I know that in my own life, which way I, I tend to actually tip a little bit more to the side of truth, right? That just seems to be my natural leaning, and I have to balance out grace with that. Maybe you tip in the opposite direction. But in order to display the whole will of God, can I express to you a frustration that I have? Let me ask that again. Can I express a frustration that I have? I actually like you to talk with me a little bit, but only when I want you to. Otherwise, just keep, keep quiet, all right? So I have a license on my wall that says I'm a Southern Baptist. I graduated from a Southern Baptist seminary, and I'm ordained as a Southern Baptist. So I can, I can make fun of Catholics and Presbyterians and Methodists all in good humor, 
but I kind of have earned the right to critique from within. You ask anybody, Southern Baptists tip way too far to the side of truth. We have this reputation for being narrow and small-minded, and that's frustrating, okay? And I don't know what to do about it, all right? And, and whether you agree with that or not, but, but generally if you tell people, I go to a Southern Baptist church, they'll say, what? Yeah. They might give you quizzical looks because we have this denominational reputation of just being narrow. I don't know how to fix it. I don't think there is a way to fix it. But I want you to know that I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to our church, regardless of the reputation of our denomination or regardless of what has happened in this church in the past, which, in my opinion, is almost all good, we are called today to be people of both truth and grace. Would you agree with me on that? Let's be that kind of people. It always cracks me up when we give a smattering of applause. That's always, I always kind of have to, we don't know what to do in church as Baptists. I'm asking Baptists to clap, which is like asking Baptists to dance. You just don't know what to do. You don't know how to, how to do it. You're afraid the Holy Spirit's going to come up behind you and smack you on the head, you know? Let's be people of both truth and grace. Would you agree with me on that? <laughs> so, where do we go from here? here? And by the way, let me say this one more thing. And I, I just read this recently, so I'm going to try to say it right. If we focus only on the truth of God, you're going to feel like an abused child. If you focus only on the grace of God, you're going to feel like a spoiled child. That's why we need the balance. We need both to understand that we are children of God who live in both discipline and freedom. So, we left Paul. We left this 101-mile-per-hour fastball that zipped across home plate, expressed the whole will of God. That's my best understanding of this and who we are called to be. Notice his final words, though. Give me a moment. So he says in verse 28, after this, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. In other words, he says, this doesn't come naturally. This balance doesn't come naturally, and it can get out of hand quicker than you think. Guard this. Be shepherds. Be aware. But then he sees this coming a mile away. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and not spare the flock. In other words, if you are people of truth, there will be persecution from outside. It is going to happen. The outside world will look in and be aghast that we believe that there is truth. But then, verse 30, even from your own number, people will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. In other words, there'll be people even in your midst who gravitate so much toward grace that they forget about truth. There'll be persecution from outside. There'll be compromise from within. This is just the nature of humans, but we are called to balance. Would you just listen to the Holy Spirit? Let's be people of truth and grace. We might not be able to change the whole world, but we can allow God to change this right here. 
So let's practice this for just a moment. Let me give you an example. This is kind of a, this is a bit of a lab right here. Let's practice grace and truth. There is a company in Japan called the Unami Travel Company. And for a very steep price, you can send your stuffed animal on their own private vacation. You heard me right. You can pay money. And I, I love the, when the kids come up to the offering box. You know, they often bring their stuffed animals with me, and they want to give, me a, give them a high five. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do that. But you can actually pay to send your favorite stuffed animal on a vacation. If you read their website, it says, your stuffed animal will have a great time. No, they won't. It's a stuffed animal, not a person. What you get is pictures of little Snoopy in front of the Eiffel Tower or Donald Duck over here by the Great Wall of China. It's all kinds of crazy, right? So let's practice grace and truth on that. Here's the truth. Some people have more money than they know what to do with. <laughs> and that's just, that's crazy. That's crazy to do that. When there are children in the world who do not have a decent meal, that's just crazy. That's the truth. But now here's grace. The people who do that, and I don't know them specifically, but as I've read comments, these are people who are so busy in life that they can't go take a trip for themselves. And they've lost perspective, and they're looking for joy any place they can find it. Grace and truth. You know, I see people who take advantage of that travel company as people who are trying to outsource adventure because they think they don't have the time. A little bit of grace is called for there. Let me encourage you. Don't outsource the adventure of following Jesus. Here's the great challenge. If you're a person of truth and grace, you're going to have people in the world, if you embrace truth, you're going to have people in the world take shots at you. If you embrace grace, you're going to have people in the church taking shots at you. I tend to think if you have people shooting at you from both sides, you might just be in the right place. And you might be exactly where Jesus walked when he said, remember the woman caught in adultery? Your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Grace and truth, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to our church. Let's stand together and pray together. Jesus, you did it your whole ministry career. You modeled it for us again and again and again that you are a person of truth and also a person of grace. And I confess on behalf of my church that we're not quite there yet, but we're still trying to find that balance. So protect us from embracing only truth. To weaponize your word is not what your word is meant to do. Forgive us when we embrace only grace that we would call wrong right. Would you help us to be people of both, that we would understand that we are children called to live in a balanced place and to follow Jesus. It seems down this tightrope sometimes, but help us to walk well. We pray this in the name of Jesus who is God who has dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Amen. If you're looking for grace and truth, here it is. We're trying to aspire to that as a church family. If today you've never followed Jesus, don't outsource your adventure to anyone else. You follow Jesus today. 
If you're looking for a church, we're not a perfect church, but we want to be a church that tries to follow Jesus with everything we have. During this time as we sing, you're invited to go right across to our follow-up room right here on the other side of this wall and say yes to following Jesus, to say yes to being a part of this church. I will mention one other thing. We're going to sing Amazing Grace this morning. Some of you know your history well enough to know that John Newton wrote this song. He was a slave trader before he became a pastor. He trafficked humans across the Atlantic Ocean. He was responsible for the death and captivity of men and women and children. Then God smacked him with the truth. And it's so fascinating to think that a man who is so confronted with God's truth would then celebrate God's grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let's sing together. Let's worship. If you need to respond, you come join me right now in our follow-up room across the hall. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.